0: Hey, it's John Hyatt, and you're listening to
1: WMNF Tampa.
2: Ever wish that you could time travel? Well, with WMNF, you can. To listen back to your favorite shows, just go to WMNF.org or the WMNF app. Click on the broadcast schedule under Programming, and boom, time travel. Go to any show to hear the latest and greatest at any time. It's like DVR, but for your radio, where music, news, and culture collide. WMNF.org and the WMNF app.
3: Here comes the sun Here comes the sun I say it's
4: all right
1: Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11, we bring you a conversation with experts on sustainable issues. Today, we are talking with Shannon Carnival about bats and wildlife in Florida. Your hosts today are myself, Kenny Coogan, and Annie Ellis. I'm not wonderful today. Always wonderful. (laughs) Irene is answering your calls. We need to keep her busy. So she stays out of trouble. That's right. And Annie keeps Bill Grace busy enough. So (laughs) he is keeping the boards (laughs) operable. He
2: has to press a lot of buttons for
1: me. So Annie had a good week. Fun, though. Come on, admit it.
2: Uh, no, yeah, oh my gosh, I had the best uh, weekend. This weather, gotta say, is just why we are here. It is phenomenal. It's just gorgeous. And yesterday, I went to uh, the Sustainable, uh, or Sustainable, the Seminole Heights uh, Garden Tour uh, on this past Sunday, and it was so good. I mean, you know, it was really diversified. I mean, there were some, you know, people that had little gardens and uh, vegetable gardens, and, you know, but they were... Show, to me, when you saw that, you could see, oh, well, this is a way the beginner can be. You know what I mean? Like you can start out like this. And then they had, oh, my God, this one. Of course, I'm an exterior designer, so I went nuts over this one. It had just gorgeous Balinese carved wood everywhere. And, and uh, it was just beautifully designed, the layout of how you walk through the place. But I wanted to say, the reason why I'm even bringing that up is that It's a, uh, it's a tour and why they make tours or is it supporting something locally and this is particularly in support of the uh, the work of friends of the Seminole Heights library so when you go to these things and do these things you're supporting these community activities and buildings and you know different su- facilities so it's really good to look and see what's going on with you you know in your area that you can buy local I mean Kenny he, he grows carnivorous plants so everywhere he is, uh, and you buy from him, you're buying from him who is here. And so you know, support, think global, support local. And, and today, I'm also I'm wearing a, a silk scarf that's hand painted by a local person. I mean, it's beautiful, and it's you know, it's uh, it's fish, and it's something I just love. That, but that's my point is, is that there are people around you that do things that are wonderful and supportive. So I just want to throw that out there for everybody to support their local chapters of whatever it is. Boom. Drop (laughs) the mic.
1: (laughs) Very good. All right. So, uh, Ann, if you want to introduce our guests, but first we're talking about bats mostly. We're also talking about wildlife.
2: Yes, because it is Halloween. We like to get on something that looks like a Halloween something something. Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes.
2: <laughs> and so Kenny found our bat
1: lady. And uh but first this week yes. I have sad news. I what? was driving around the state of Florida. Okay. And there's That's a lot not of too sad. <laughs> there's a lot of construction. <laughs> yes, that is sad. And I found a road killed river otter. Oh no. And it was very sad. And then I looked That's into horrible. it and in the state of Florida we can hunt and kill river otters year no. round. I know, isn't why? that why? That doesn't make sense. They're a nuisance for the farmers.
2: Oh, so somebody. But I
1: don't see people eating river otters, so that's really a waste.
2: Right. Oh my God, that's horrible. I'd never. I didn't know that because we just were talking to somebody recently about otters and sea otters and stuff like that. I can't imagine.
1: And what I saw, it was literally forty pounds. It was a huge, you know, adult. Just dead there, right? Right in the construction zone. Oh, man. Very sad.
2: Yeah. You know, we're taking over the placement of all these uh, animals. That's another thing you can do. You can, in your own environment, make it wildlife friendly.
1: That's what we're going to talk about today on today's show. Oh, you're
2: so smooth, Kenny. (laughs) See, I don't even know this, and he leads me. It's just perfect. (laughs) Kenny is just the best, I got to say. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, you want to introduce Shannon? I sure will, and I love her last name, Carnival. I hope we're saying it right because it is a good one. So uh, Shannon Carnival, she's a natural resource and conservation extension agent in Polk County. So that's our local person. Uh, And she has an educational background in forest resource management and agricultural education and communication. And she is dedicated to making a positive impact on Florida's ecosystems and our community. And we love that about you, Sharon uh, uh, Shannon. Thank you for coming to our show. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, we are too. We love bats.
1: <laughs> yes, oh, me do. too. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking I learned about bats in third grade. We've like read a whole book. We learned about all the bats of all over the world. And I really did fall in love with them.
2: You have a, you had a good teacher. Yes. See, that's the difference in, uh, on your education, on, uh, how you're brought up like that. That's fantastic. So, well, I, that's a good point. So uh, how did you learn about bats or what, what brought your interest to this, Sh- uh, Shannon? Shannon?
5: Well, like Kenny, I have been a lifelong fan of Florida wildlife. I also learned about bats in elementary school. I think the book Stella Luna really inspired a lot of kids my age to be excited about bats. Uh, After I got my job, though, it was mostly on-the-job training. I didn't have a lot of training in wildlife and bats as a part of my degrees, just some introductory things and basic habitat and habitat restoration but the specific information I learned about bats is mostly lots of reading and on the job training. What did you just say? Was that is that a children's book, Bella Luna? Is that Stella Luna?
2: Stella Luna. What is
5: that? Oh, I don't remember the story off the top of my head. If I I think it was about a mama bat and her little baby bat named oh. Stella Luna. And it was all about flying around in the moonlight, and it was so cute. Oh, that's so Published sweet. Published in 1993.
1: There it is. There oh,
5: you Oh, Kenny just looked it up. <laughs> You're so
2: good. So, uh, yeah, I, did, I missed that book in Alabama. Not surprising. <laughs> of course, you know what? When I was a kid, what did you say it was written? 93. Oh, yeah. I was grown up and all about that. I, I wasn't reading that book anymore uh, unless I had little children, which I did not. So, uh, we would like to know uh, what type of bats are in Florida
1: specifically. Or Alabama.
2: Well, yeah, it could be. I mean, just in this area, in the southern states, I guess is really our question.
5: Well, we have quite a lot of them, so I don't know if you want me to list them all off for you, but we've got about 20 species that show up occasionally in Florida, but of them, 13 live in Florida year-round. We call those our resident bat species. Some are more common than others, but the list is about 13 species long.
2: So you say they live here all year round because I know that some of these uh, bats hibernate in the winter. So they don't do that here? Or what is what happens Um, to them then in the winter? I mean, our winter.
5: You know, that's a really good question. For some of the bat species in North Florida, specifically our cave roosting bats in the panhandle, they might do a true traditional hibernation, but the bats here in Central Florida, they're just less active during the winter. So what that means is they might not go out to feed every night, they may go out to feed every other night or every couple nights just because they're cold
2: oh okay so they're just conserving energy because well and also is the insect population different in the winter i mean in the cooler months or
5: yes yes it is and so their diet also changes in the winter it they'll eat a lot more species than they may eat in the um, months where it's warmer when they have more of their their pick of the insects in the sky for instance but yes, so we do, all of our bats do get less active in the winter, um, but we have we have quite a few. So you said uh,
2: they are active in the sky, eating the insects in the sky. Do they go to the ground and eat, or do they land and eat, or is there a different, you know, different ways that they do that? Do they make a reservation at a restaurant? I don't
5: know. <laughs> no, they are... Flying acrobats. If you ever Uh, sit out back or sit in a national park, I'm sorry, a state park or any of our county parks and watch these bats, especially if you're in an area that has fresh water around, you can see them just dipping and diving and swooping all over the place. They don't glide like a bird might. So they're constantly flapping their little wings and using their echolocation to target insects in the air. And so they are just phenomenal flyers.
1: And they eat on the wing,
5: right? Yes. I, I would love to see that.
2: <laughs> I mean, just snatching it out of the uh, out of the air like that's amazing. It really is. And so they do they just go right at it with their mouth, or they swat it in with their little hand,
5: or how does that work? I haven't seen it. Obviously, I've not seen it up close because they're so dang quick. Yeah. But I will say, from what I understand, they are using their echolocation. And their eyesight, there's a common myth that bats are blind, and they are not. So they're using their eyesight and their echolocation for really complex targeting of these insects while they're in the air. And then they're just biting them right out of the air, from what I understand. (laughs) I
2: just picture that,
5: snatch and go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, let's have an hors d'oeuvre. Let me get that beetle. There it is. (laughs) The ultimate to-go eating. Yeah, that's right. You
2: don't you don't have to put wheels on it because they have wings on it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Shannon, you mentioned that we have about 20 types of bats. Seven of them, I guess, are migratory, and then the 13 are residential. Can you, rather than listing all of them, can you give us some superlatives? Like, do you know the biggest bat species, the smallest bat species? Do we have ones that live in huge colonies? Do we have bats that live by themselves, solitary?
5: Sure. So we have several bats that most of our bats live in small colonies, so two to 10 bats. Um, We do have some of our larger colony bats also. Those would include the big brown bat, for instance. That one's really common in the large colonies, like the big bat house up in Gainesville, for instance, has a lot of the big brown bat. And big is a misnomer, these are very little bats. Um, Mm -hmm. Our biggest bat is only a couple inches long with about a 15 inch wingspan. So smaller than my fist by far, they're very little. All of our bats are in Florida. Um, The Brazilian free-tailed bat, also known as the Mexican free-tailed bat or the Velvety free-tailed bat, those are also fairly common. And in Florida, the one that a lot of people love is the southeastern myotis bat, and that's because of all of our bats, that one eats the most mosquitoes.
2: Uh, so that's the one you'd want to cultivate in your yard.
1: <laughs> yeah. <for sure. laughs> now, is it, can we appropriately name them LBBs and BBBs because I have heard people when I'm out and they don't know how to identify a bat, they go, oh, that's a LBB, a little oh. brown bat. Oh. oh, that's a BBB. Oh,
2: that's the guy that was up in the... the uh, what was it in the canyon? It was
5: Yeah, exactly. That, right? Yeah, that's funny. Oh, that's funny. We, I actually hear a lot of people use LBB for little brown birds, also, oh. same deal, and LBM's little brown moth because <laughs> they're just, there's so many and they're hard to identify. And I'd say that's the same for our bats. So if you, observe them enough that you're comfortable though that's a bigger one. Oh, that's a smaller one go for it absolutely in my mind they're all pretty small now our largest bat is also our most endangered bat it's the endemic florida bonneted bat and that one compared to other florida bats is pretty large bonneted
2: so they must have a little uh, head difference to themselves
5: they do. I believe it's their ears kind of forms like what looks like a little bonnet oh, over the back of their head. They're pretty yeah. adorable in my opinion, but <laughs> I understand a lot of people don't share that perspective.
1: <laughs> well, all of our listeners will at the end, by the end of the Probably. show. Probably.
5: Yeah. Now I'm already
1: warming up. So it. <laughs> Shannon, can you pronounce oh, your last name?
2: Yes, sir. It's Carnivale. Carnivale. Okay, so we needed to pronounce the
1: E. I want to remind listeners that this is the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF, Tampa 88.5. Today we are talking with Shannon Carnivalli about bats and wildlife and how to attract them. If you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at DJ at and we will read it on air. And we got a message from all the way across the hallway (laughs) from Flea, the music director at WMNF. He's very important. And he said that he had a friend who built a bat box and the bats did not move in. Mm -hmm. So, Shannon, can you tell us what a bat box is and then where do we put it?
5: How to mount it. Sure thing. Unfortunately, bats are about as particular about real estate as we are, so (laughs) they like to have just the right house and just the right location. So we tend to tell people to give it three years. If you still don't have bats in the end of three years, consider pointing it in a different direction. So generally speaking, bat houses in Florida are pretty big. So they need to have multiple chambers. Um, So if you look up inside, because the bottom of a bat house is open, if you look up inside, there should be slats in there about every three quarter of an inch to an inch. And that makes it small enough that a bat will fit in there nicely, but not so small that it's advantageous to insects. And they use those multiple chambers to um, adjust their temperature during the summer and the winter, so they can get just the right little Goldie Goldilocks spot in the bat house. How do they? So adjust- if go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I'll go
2: ahead, and I would ask the question after. I thought you were finished. Go ahead.
5: I was just going to say, make sure your bat house is at least 15 feet in the air. We do recommend that so they have a good takeoff and landing spot. And there's some evidence to suggest that they will inhabit a bat house on a pole or a post more often than a bat house mounted in a tree or on a building but they will still use all three locations so
2: you said something about that they need to adjust their temperature in those little compartments what does that mean are they opening up their wings What? uh not their wing well i guess it is their wings it's really a hand but Anyway, they open that up to uh, aerate more when it's hot, and then they enclose more when it's cold. I mean, how does that? Is that what they do, or how does that
5: work? So, if you think about a box with three layers, if it's too warm, they'll move further inside the house oh. to a more um, an area that's more protected from the outside heat, or they might spread out inside the house. Um, let's say there's 20 bats inside the house and it's too hot, they'll kind of spread out a little bit more and get some more circulation. But generally speaking, our bats like it a lot hotter in that house than we ever would want inside that house. So they're looking for warmer temperatures most of the year. That is interesting.
1: There's a church by my house that has a couple of pretty skinny, like four-inch wide bat boxes. And when you walk underneath them, you hear the little... chirping chirping. but then there's also a park that has a huge like three foot by three foot box on poles do you i'm sure there's species that have preferences but if somebody's building a bat box should it be which version would be better or so it
5: really depends on the species and it's hard to identify species by looking at them so That's a hard thing to to suggest to someone. Generally, what I recommend to people who are looking to help with bat habitat is to actually leave our natural habitat around, what most of our bats would use without structures. If you have bats living in a house or a community structure has hundreds of bats in it, then you know you have the large colony forming bats around. And if you're going to exclude them from that building, which you should, Um, It's nice to put up a bat house that can accommodate them before you kick them out of a human home or building.
2: I was looking, uh, of course, I was looking a lot of stuff up before the show. But there was uh, at UF, they've put in some really big domed bat houses on stilts. Have you seen that yet?
5: Absolutely. Actually, I was proposed to right next to that. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. They, um, They are right next to Lake Alice and they're in a beautiful part of campus. But they hold thousands it's not tens of thousands of bats it's like a giant quonset
2: hut on stilts kind of a thing it's very very big i was very surprised that you know that was done and that it didn't look like that was that high up how high up is
5: that shannon you know oh my gosh i'm so sorry for um, <laughs> um, they are pretty high up, you know. They put a fence around it, so I can't tell you for certain how tall they are because I haven't gotten that close. But if I had to guess, I'd say they're about twenty feet in the air. Mm-hmm. The bottom oh, of the bat okay. house
2: is online. It doesn't look like that. I guess it's because it's uh, they are so large that uh, in are. in scale it doesn't look like it's that tall. You know what I mean? It looks like a it looks like a really big uh, dog house, really kind of. Uh, so that's interesting. Very interesting. So
1: so uh, Shannon, maybe related to your engagement, somebody just sent us a text. I'm really excited about this interview. I'm thinking about installing a bat house. I have really enjoyed the two bat houses at Twin Lakes Park in Sarasota. My question is about the guano. Is mm-hmm. it toxic? Should I be worried about it in my yard? Shannon, were you under duress being so close to the guano when you were engaged
5: to <laughs> or that proposed is to a- <laughs> that is a fabulous <laughs> question. Um there are some diseases that we are concerned about in the guano. So very, very low risk, not something that I would stress out about or anything but bat guano is really dry and kind of it like if you look at it kind of sparkles it kind of (laughs) glitters and it's because of all the insect shells that they eat so it becomes airborne really easily and that's really more so what we're concerned with and one of the diseases that can be in large quantities of of guano is histoplasmosis Like I said, very low risk in Florida. It's much more common in the Mississippi River Valley and near like the Ohio River Valleys. But you can really prevent it easily, which is just by wearing a a dust respirator. If you need to be moving guano around, if you leave it undisturbed there, it'll probably be okay. But it does tend to smell after a while. So when you get to the point of having a bat house and you need to scoop the guano out, make sure or out from under it, just wear a nice little respirator so that you don't inhale any of that dust.
2: I've heard that it's really great fertilizer as well. I have heard that as well, yes. So I guess you just have to be careful about how you incorporate it into what you're doing. Probably put it in the compost. That would probably be a good good way to go. So it would be incorporated instead of floating free.
5: <laughs> that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. I'm not... I'm not um, I don't have a lot of experience with using it in gardening, but I know that it has been studied and it is a good fertilizer. And community bat houses do utilize it in their compost. Very good. I'm not sure what the best practices would be, though. Yeah.
1: All right, Shannon, we got a call from uh, Beb who wants to talk about installing a bat house.
2: Hello.
4: Hi there. How Hi, are you
1: guys?
2: Good. Great.
4: Welcome to the show. Thank you, so I live up in a community that I would like to propose that we put up multiple bat houses. What kind of price the lady just said there would have to be fifteen foot in the air. What kind of pricing would it take to make a flagpole and get these put up? is there are there any services that can guide us on requesting bat poles in our um neighborhood
5: like uh yeah there aren't any <laughs> existing services that i'm aware of but there are recommendations from florida fish and wildlife conservation commission and they on their living with bats page of their website there are links to different uh, retailers that sell custom-made bat houses and existing like retail style bat houses if you're looking to put in one large one like a three by three by three foot large bat house for your community. One of the ones listed on FWC's website will custom make that and it includes the pole in mounting hardware for your community. If you're buying the smaller houses that are maybe two feet by three feet by like five inches deep, those you would need to find your own pole for. And that has been a tricky issue for many people that I work with.
4: I, I was thinking it would be myself because of the liability. Is it like a flagpole that needs to be in concrete and mm-hmm. holding it up and all that? And and um, if if we live near a large golf course, is there a percentage that I can say? Oh, if we install these bat poles, we we would go down on mosquitoes so much. Is there any benefits I can try <laughs> to, uh, to so, help? So I can get more people on board.
5: Right, right. So what I would say about that is bats preferentially eat beetles and moths before mosquitoes, generally because of the time of day that the mosquitoes are out and how close to the ground they might be. But you can definitely say that most bats in Florida will eat their body weight in insects, flying insects every night. And so if you imagine hundreds or thousands of bats and multiply that out, even at only a percentage or three percent of their diet, you're still eliminating thousands of mosquitoes. All right, and, everybody's for that.
1: And Bev, I was <laughs> the park that I was mentioning was the L uh, Lopez Park near the stadium. They have bat boxes. They there? have a, they have the big three feet by three oh, okay. feet. So maybe you could contact somebody there oh, yeah, to the, figure out how they that's installed great. it.
2: they probably had a they hired probably so an installer exactly yeah that's the i was thinking even if you were getting them you're going to still have to hire an installer so yeah that's a great suggestion though i'm so glad that that you're doing that uh it, or trying to do it anyway. thank you beth I,
4: I just don't see them in the city park so i was looking for yeah. a guy there Signing up my bat poll light, like asking someone to answer
1: this bat call. Thank you. Thank you.
2: <laughs> and
1: I will mention that Beth <laughs> is a proud supporter of WMF, and it. she supports our show yeah. specifically oh, as well. Right.
2: So Shannon, <laughs> she was answering her bat phone. <laughs> That's awesome.
1: <laughs> so Shannon, maybe you could talk about now why do we want to put up uh, bat houses, or more importantly, why do we want to save bat environments? Why? You know, other than eating bugs, do they serve a purpose?
5: Well, I would say that eating bugs is the majority of their benefit to society, but it's beyond just our society's comfort level with flying insects. It also includes agricultural benefits. So there isn't specific research in the state of Florida yet that I'm aware of, but in the Southeast, we know that putting up bat houses and protecting native bat habitat can reduce the need for pesticides in many agricultural operations in the Southeast. That research is out of Alabama and Georgia, I believe. And it, it makes sense that it would apply at least in the panhandle, but we probably need more research in Central Florida to know for sure if it extends down here. Um, but that's a, a huge benefit. Anytime we can reduce the cost for our agricultural producers and reduce the need for pesticide application is always a win-win. Um, other things that they do is they... Um, they do reallocate some of those nutrients like we were talking about with their guano. So in some of our um, cave ecosystems in North Florida, for instance, they are the reason that we are able to get more life in those caves. They bring nutrients into the cave that otherwise wouldn't exist. It's not a huge impact here in Central Florida as most of our cave roosting bats are in North Florida, but insect reduction is a big one and it goes beyond, like I said, comfort. It's also public health and agriculture.
2: It's really interesting when you're talking about that because, you know, every single creature has a part of that full circle of, uh, of how everything works. And so, you know, if we did, we're, we're driving out those bats, we're, we're killing those otters. We're moving all that stuff away. So is there something that we can do to, besides putting up a bat house, is there something that we can do to increase their, their wannabe in our area or, or other other, uh, animals for that matter?
1: How are the bats doing? Are they endangered, threatened? is it human caused?
5: Yes. (laughs) We have two species of bats in Florida that are federally listed as endangered. That is the gray bat, which is in very North Florida. And the Florida bonneted bat, which is primarily in Southwest Florida, originally only thought to be in the Naples area. It was thought to have the smallest natural range of any bat species in the country. (sighs) But we've recently got Some new research suggesting that their populations might be better off than we thought. So there are some roost sites that have been identified in Okeechobee County as well as Polk County. And they continue to look for more in the Highlands County area and all along the Lake Wales Ridge. So those species are um, protected because they're listed. But it's important to note that all of the bat species in Florida are protected. It is illegal to harm, harass, or kill them. Um, you cannot use poison on them. They are not related to rats. You cannot poison them. Um, and so if you need to exclude them from a building, make sure to call a trained professional to do a bat exclusion outside of maternity season. But to answer your first question of what are some things we could do, I would say the most important two things are support native habitat, Spanish moss, palm fronds, leave the dead palm fronds on your palm trees. Don't prune them off. Um, leave standing dead trees where it is safe and you are able to do so. And the second one, just talk about how cool bats are, that they're not a threat. You
2: know, you just said don't trim the uh, the palms, uh, fronds. And, you know, too, when you people over trim like crazy here and mm-hmm. then they're uh, all their uh, plant materials get in distress; they uh, they start to fail, and it takes a long time for them to fail. The palms specifically, um, because mm-hmm. they're they just you know they carry on, but they start getting ill, more ill and more ill. They get more penciled look at the top, smaller at the top, and you can tell it's yeah. because they're over trimmed. And so you're just telling us right there too uh, that it's better for the environment. So critters can live in there. So not, mm-hmm. so for all the people out there trimming your palms, don't. Uh, they need to have that there to feed themselves and to be hiding places and nesting places for all types of critters. And don't be afraid of them. I think that's part of the thing is that people are so scared of having oh, yeah. uh, any kind of critter around them. They're just terrified of that. It's it's odd to me. I need to reintroduce us, uh, so if anybody wanted to call in, they could have that too. Uh, but I am Annie Ellis, and you're listening to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Um, today we're talking with Shannon Car- Carnivali. Uh, about bats and wildlife and if you want to be part of this conversation give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at WMNF.org, and we'll read it on the air
1: and now we have a message from Mr. Bill Grace.
0: Do you ever look up at the night sky and see the billions and billions of stars and think to yourself in the scheme of things you're mighty insignificant? Well, feel that way no more. Just go to our website, WMNF.org, and click on the tip jar icon at the top left and direct your donation to SUL for Sustainable Living. And by supporting the Sustainable Living Show in WMNF Tampa, you can look anyone directly in their eyes and say, I am significant.
1: (laughs) All right, Shannon, you got a couple of emails and text messages that are coming through. Um, Somebody says, I'm so excited about this show. I love bats, and I'm lucky enough to observe them when I ride my bicycle from Coffee Pot to Treasure Island here in St. Pete.
2: Beautiful area. And
1: then Mm -hmm. Leah from Bartow says, are bats omnivores, or are there different species that are either insectivores or nectivores? So what are the Florida bats other than insects? Do we have ones that are drinking nectar?
5: So not, none of our resident bats drink nectar. All of, all 13 species that we have here year round are pure insectivores. Like I said, they do prioritize beetles, moths, and flies over mosquitoes. But um, there are some incidental or accidental species, maybe migratory, um, in very, very South Florida that can be uh, nectar feeding bats. So we've got a couple of fruit bats and a couple of the um, of the nectar bats that come over from the islands. Um, more so accidental than migratory, though. Uh, uh, there was a, uh, a program, I think it was
2: a PBS nature program. It was the Batman. Uh, and he uh, follows the bats to document that what they're getting done. And they are nectar feedings. And they have to be in this certain area at this certain time because that's when that plant opens to get the nectar mm-hmm. to be able to pollinate for this particular thing. And unless it happens all in sequence, exactly. Undisturbed, just like that, it doesn't happen. I had forgotten all about that, but that's very interesting.
1: <laughs> Shannon, you got a voicemail that says, as far as bats during part of the year, I believe it's the small brown bat I see fly, flying fairly close to the ground, maybe five feet down to three feet. Oh. So, mm-hmm. Shannon, can you talk about maybe some myths Do we need to be concerned about them flying into the hair? And that's the only myth I (laughs) know. That's the only myth I know.
5: Covering your
2: neck up with your scarf so they don't bite you because they
5: don't. (laughs) I would say the flying into the hair thing is is a myth as far as it being intentional. Now, if you're in an area with a lot of low-flying bats, they will try to avoid you. But um, it's been known to happen, especially at the Gainesville bat houses or any of the large bat houses where they're all coming out at one time. So I would say that's mostly myth. The other myths, I get a lot of questions about vampire bats, especially yes. this time of year. Right. Good news is we don't have them in Florida. I guess the less good news is, yes, they do exist. <laughs> but then they go to like cattle
2: and things like that, right? They do. Yeah. Yes.
5: They primarily feed on wildlife and livestock. But if you happen to be camping outside, outside of a tent, it's entirely possible that you could be a meal also. Ah. That's only really an issue in the Southwest or Central and South America.
1: Now, Shannon, you don't know this, but when I was a zookeeper, I used to take care of vampire bats.
2: Oh, wow. Do now, they I, ever go at you?
1: Now, I like to think Annie and I are good friends, but vampire <laughs> bats, they're only successful like one out of three nights, but they mm. have to drink blood every night. Mm. So a good friend vampire bat would regurgitate the blood that they give to their friend because they have to keep drinking. So the way that we fed them because they're obligate feeders, which means they're obligated to only like they can only drink blood. They can't eat anything else. Yeah. So we would get uh, little bottles of some cow blood. Because, you know, what else are you going to do with the cow blood?
2: Right, and why would you even have it? That's <laughs> really what I'm guessing. Yeah, so we would get the
1: bovine blood and we just pour it in little uh, petri dishes we put on the ground. And then they would fly down and they would syrup it up. And so, they, so you didn't donate your own blood? No, nah, they like the cow blood. <laughs> they like and, the cow blood uh, better? The ones that we That's have funny. are from Venezuela and they were like three inches tall.
2: I'm surprised yeah, you wouldn't donate your own baby. blood, <laughs> You're so you're so loving towards everything that I can see you out there. Yes, I'm I'm A B positive for these
1: babies. <laughs> All right, this is a so uh, we got a email. Voice message. It's hard to know it. Do we get voice messages, Bill? Okay. (laughs) All right. So we got (laughs) one from uh, Marco, and they said one of my favorite episodes of The Office features a scene of a bat trapped in the office, creating chaos, (laughs) and the characters uh, try everything from a box with glue on it to trapping Mm -hmm. it, and they're you know just shenanigans. So Shannon, what happens if you find a bat in your house? I was actually. Once at a church and they had bats, they would get really cold and they would fall down to the ground and they would put them in boxes and then take them outside.
2: Because they were so sleepy. Yeah. Wow. So
1: Shannon, what does someone do if they find a bat inside a building they do not want it to be in?
5: So it depends on a couple of things, because if you wake up and there has been a bat in your bedroom, for instance, and you don't know how it got there, how long it's been there, or if you potentially might have gotten scratched or bitten, you need to call uh, your doctor and let them know you need to call Department of Health and make sure that you are not at risk of rabies. It's highly Mm -hmm. unlikely that the bat has rabies. Very few uh, bats do. But if you don't know how the bat got in, it's better safe than sorry with rabies concerns. Now, if you saw the bat get in or you know how they're getting in, like there's a a crevice or something, or if you watched it come in, you can try and shoo it out of the house. We never recommend handling bats because they can scratch you. Um, I have seen successfully people throw like a towel on it and then kind of shoo the towel outside to release them without ever having to touch them. If you're in an area where you're not comfortable with that sort of thing or you're concerned about getting too close to them, we just recommend hiring a wildlife trapper, a professional to come in because they're able to get the bat out without harming it or yeah. you, and it can be better for everyone involved.
2: They have technique. My parents yes. had some squirrels that came inside theirs, and it was it was insane. And, of course, they just went crazy because they didn't know what to do. So, yeah, call somebody. Call the man yes. or the woman very good oh wow look at all, all right our calls. got a couple of
1: calls and uh shanna let's take uh tom from st pete hello tom
6: hey tom hey hey um i, I was just gonna say that uh, if you wanted to sell someone on the benefits of bats in florida i would recommend that uh their the their their eating of roaches would probably be my number one uh <laughs> reason and uh and it could. first of all, could you confirm that they, uh, they do eat roaches, especially the flying uh, palmetto bug or whatever we call those flying roaches? Um, most disturbing. Um, they do eat roaches, right?
5: Shannon? So I, I don't know off the top of my head if they do. I will say that bats are looking for the best protein source they can get for the amount of energy they are expending. And those flying roaches, as much as I like to pretend they don't exist, they're awfully meaty. So if a bat had the opportunity to get one, I, I, there is no doubt in my mind that they would try.
6: Right. And, 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 and in conclusion, uh, I'd like to add that uh, I have noticed, uh, and a lot of other people have, that uh, bats um, seem to um, oftentimes fly in people's care. Uh, <laughs> what and, Kenny
2: just said. <laughs> uh,
6: yeah, uh, and, 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 and I will tell you that that's a good thing because they're not going there for their health. They're going there to eat something.
2: Oh you're there, my gosh!
6: Roach, it's uh, getting close to your hair. You want a bat to come in there and take care of
2: it? <laughs> yeah, thank you, I Tom. Would,
6: <laughs> that's so good. Have a good
2: day. You thank you. I never that heard is, a roach it, called meaty before. So <laughs> <laughs> That's a first. <laughs> oh well, man, they're gross. <laughs> they are.
1: Shannon, uh, Annie was talking earlier about when I went to the Grand Canyon earlier. This is such a great story. I'm glad you're going to
2: tell it. Yeah. And
1: we were just standing around at night, and a bat did hit someone in the back of the head, and the tour guide said that it was probably like a younger bat trying to figure out how to navigate.
2: When you were laying down yeah. at night, this is the best. He yeah. was laying down on the cots and what they do, because it's so hot, uh, that they're out and out of the tent and uh, the bats fly over them yeah. and eat the insects, just float Just right like inches
1: away from everyone. <laughs> right, so you don't
2: freak out. You just lay there and then you don't get bitten by any insects because the bats are doing their
5: job.
1: And I was with 30 science teachers, so we all appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, I
5: love that Isn't you know it? we actually have research to support the idea that if there are a lot of bats in the area even if they are not um eating a particular species or something insects will avoid that area because they can hear the bats
2: oh they run so, for their
1: lives
5: <laughs> yeah yeah we've got some research to suggest that um in, in the southeast which is very interesting that
1: is interesting
5: so we have Shan- more calls yeah
1: shannon i don't know if you I, I don't really know what I'm about to say, but I think <laughs> I think moths <laughs> I think moths can hear echolocation or they're like co-evolving to be able to avoid the bats.
5: Oh. Do, you, do you know anything about that? I don't know the intricacies of how that works. That uh, but makes sense. Though. That is what the that it seems logical based mm-hmm. on that research I just mentioned. Yeah. yeah.
1: All right. Uh, you got two more calls, Shannon. One is from Trudy and... Just kidding, Trudy. Call back. Oh, One is from Paul in Safety Harbor. You off, sorry, Trudy. Call back. <laughs> <laughs> but first, we'll take Paul. Hello, Paul. Hey, Paul. Hello. Yeah, Hi. I've got some. Uh, I've got.
0: Well, I got a small farm up in Bonifay, Florida, which is almost Alabama. So I'm really north in Florida. Uh huh. I have a I have a good amount of bats. When I walk around at night, there's like no bugs, no nothing, and I can just walk around and they're But I put up a couple bat nests and I don't have any visitors yet. And I I read that I need water source, but I have a swamp on the property, but it dries up. So I don't Mm. know if that makes for a year round that thing, or how could I help the water situation is the question.
5: That's a great question. We don't have a lot of recommendations for how to add a water source. If you, um, if you have a pond on your property, if you had a small fountain, it might make them more aware of it. But the fact that you you see so many bats around, it leads me to believe that you have good natural habitat, whether you need to add anything or not. And so it might not be uh, something that you need to prioritize, really. And okay. if you have added that habitat, maybe they just know it's there in case their natural habitat gets taken out for some reason.
2: Or
0: are they seasonal?
5: In North Florida, we do have some migratory species.
1: Seven out of 20 are.
5: Well, and also they don't feed
2: as often when it's cold because they're cold. Mm-hmm. And so they don't want to expend that much energy because there's less insects, correct?
5: Right. And if you have, you might have cave dwelling bats, for instance, in North Florida oh, yeah. and South Alabama. And so they might not be the type of species that would use a bat house at all. Um, You might have cave dwelling bats that you're seeing all over the place. And so, yeah, some of them are uh, some of them are migratory in North Florida. I think we have three species in North Florida that are migratory and some are cave dwelling. Some just won't use a bat house.
2: But still, it's nice that you put it up. I wonder if there is a you know extension service up there in that area that might you might be able to contact that might be able to put you in with somebody like Shannon up in that area. That Paul's calling have,
1: from Safety Harbor.
2: Well, no, but he has a farm right, up in that chef. area. So if you called, oh yeah. if you called you know someplace up there, they probably have somebody that would be a specializing you know a scientist to, about it.
0: The swamp area holds water about, mm, say, eight months a year. Oh, yeah. And then it, then, it okay. dries up, then it dries up totally. So I don't have fish. I don't have gators. I don't have any of that kind of stuff. But If
1: Annie was a bat, she would be drinking from that. So.
5: <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have an extension office in every county, so you can always call your local extension office yeah. to get a hold of someone.
1: No, right where it is. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Pop. Yeah, then
5: you
2: could identify, because unless you identify the type of bat, you wouldn't know what size
5: uh, dwelling they would need anyway, right, mm-hmm. Shannon? Right, and it's hard to identify them, so we actually go more on trying to figure out where they're coming from and observing yeah. what type of roosting they're doing. That's the best way to narrow down what species you might be looking at okay. is what they're using to roost That's in. That's so Interesting. But, uh, I think up in Bonifay, that might be Rick O'Connor is the extension uh, person you might need to talk to. There
1: you go, Paul. Now, we got another email from a different Paul at the Audubon, and he says, bats are the purple Martins of the night. Mm. And then we got another another email from Sandy, and this is kind of for Bev. Sandy recommends you should check with companies that sell Martin houses Because they already are selling the sturdy steel poles that come in sections that fit together. So it's easier to put up. And Sandy adds, thank you for the great and informative show.
5: Uh, Thank you. That's a great idea. That is a great idea. thankfully,
1: Trudy called back. We have smart listeners. Because that hang up button and the answer button are right next to each other. Yeah, it's
2: hard to miss it.
1: (laughs) Hello, Trudy.
2: Hello. Hey, thanks for calling back, Trudy. What do you have to say today? This
3: um, is a question about the rabies subject that you've brought up recently. I have a a dock on the Alifier River with an umbrella on it, and there's a cute little brown bat that likes to sleep in the folds of the umbrella during the day. And whenever my little grandchildren come over, they want to see the bat. So we open up the umbrella a little bit and look at him. We never try to touch him, obviously, but our hands and our heads are about or three feet away from the bat. And I'm wondering, um, with rabies in mind, is this an unsafe practice? Uh, should I stop
2: doing
1: that? That's a great question. Yes, it is. How close can we get to a bat?
2: Without a
5: hat. <laughs> <laughs> so our general recommendation for all wildlife are that if they are changing their behavior because you have approached them, you're too close. Mm. So if what you're doing and opening the umbrella a little bit to see the little bat, if it's not causing distress to that bat, I'd say it's, it's okay to do every now and then maybe don't do it every time the grandkids are in town, um, to get rabies. You do have to have an exchange of fluids though. So a bite, a scratch, something to that effect. So as long as everyone is happy and calm and the bat isn't um, disturbed, you could probably get away with it. But as always, my recommendation is to let wildlife be as peaceful as they need to be. Okay. Uh,
3: Sometimes the little bat will crawl a a foot away in the umbrella a little farther Mm -hmm. away. Every once Mm -hmm. in a while, he will fly away. So I guess that means I
2: disturbed him. Yes.
5: Yeah, I would say so. And so I would definitely consider taking a peek at the bat less frequently if nothing else and ex- and talking to your grandkids about whether or not they like to be woken up in the middle of the night because that's essentially what we're doing to that little bat. That's a very good
2: point. Uh, that would be a super good opportunity to discuss, to discuss bats and their habitat and what we need to do to provide for them.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you, Trudy.
2: Thanks, Trudy. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for calling back. We appreciate it. Yes.
1: Um, Shannon, when I was talking about how vampire bats are obligate feeders and they share their food, uh, we got a voice message that is asking, do bats communicate and share information about feeding grounds through chirps and clicks Mm. or is it every bat for Mm. themselves? That's very good question. Is there, enough, is, is there enough insects to share the information? Are they? I,
2: uh, this, this is their hiding spot. Yeah. They, they, you know, like you, know, fishermen never want to tell their good fishing hole, right? <laughs> so this is the good bug hole. That's you funny. know, I,
5: I don't know specifically. I've not read research one way or the other on that. What I can tell you is that bats raise their young in in our colony forming bats, they raise it as a community. And so it makes sense that they might communicate in some way to, to share that information. Of course, bats flying around can probably hear their friends in the air and mm-hmm. go towards the areas that might have insects as well. That would be my best guess on that. Very great good. question.
1: All right. So Shannon, we got about six minutes left. Uh, Paul asked earlier about, you know, building a bat uh, box in his, in the upper part of Florida. And we were, you know, talking about extension offices and agents. Um, so backyard wildlife is a big topic. If residents mm-hmm. want to know how to add wildlife habitat or want to learn more about bats, what are, how do we know a resource is good and vetted and where would you suggest that we start?
2: And one I want to add too, are there some things that we should not do uh, as in putting out feeding and, and, and that sort of stuff for different wildlife?
5: Right. So that's, that's a big question, both of those. So I would suggest as far as um, what to do for backyard habitat and what not to do, generally what I recommend, because I'm an ecosystem person, is try to look around at your ecosystem and see what the wildlife might need to thrive. So it might be shelter, it might be a food source, but you want to use native food sources and grow them naturally. Don't necessarily go out and buy food to put out. The exception to that is generally songbirds. It's okay to feed them if you'd like. But the moment that other critters are attracted to that bird seed, it's no longer a good idea. So don't put out food if it's attracting things like raccoons, coyotes, bears, etc. We don't want to be attracting those things. Now, you can always call your local extension office. There's one of us in every county. They might not have a natural resources agent specifically, but they probably have an agent that works with natural resources and conservation. Or they will then contact me or one of their more local natural resources agents to get that answer for you. And they have all kinds of good information from the gardening side for backyard habitat and also from the wildlife and natural resources side. And so
2: uh, you say call the uh, extension agencies for more information about bats. Is their primary way to go?
5: Yes. Call your local extension office, and if they don't have the answer, they know how to get a hold of me. Perfect. So um, I don't have another
2: question about bats, but I did want to make a, a point about the extension offices and all the different things that they offer, because right now uh, they have events all over the place. They have rainwater harvesting workshops. They have micro irrigation workshops, composting workshops, living shoreline course. Harvest, all different things is my point. And so it, we should all, you know, contact our, uh, our extension services and utilize them because they're there for us, for us to be mm-hmm. able to learn and improve and do better with our landscape and, uh, you
1: know, the Wildlife. whole life, the
2: whole world. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. So Shannon, we did get a couple of questions about buying bad houses. And I would assume our answer is to... We don't like to say this, but to Google, you can just... (laughs) And there'll be a lot to choose from, no doubt. Right, Shannon.
5: Don't you... There are. Now, if you go on, or if if you Google, if you Google UF IFAS and bat houses, you will get a document that we have recommendations for specific types of bat houses to get. That's the nice thing about extension documents is we're generally not trying to sell you something. We just have the research backed information. But if you go to Florida Fish and Wildlife's website or the Florida Bat Conservancy website, they also have recommendations for bat houses and where you can purchase them or how to build them. I do wanna put another plug in though for natural habitat. A lot of our bats are not the type that will use bat houses. All of our single bats or our small family bats that maybe roost in colonies of less than five, They're using palm fronds, they're using Spanish moss, they're using loose bark on old trees and tree cavities. And so that natural habitat, you'll have a lot of success even if you don't get to see them as often. And, you know, people
2: don't understand that they don't have to trim every piece of uh, wood off of every tree. That a exactly. snag, a snag, which is an old, uh, uh, dead piece, is really harder than a lot of the other part of the tree that you're seeing. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to fall off, you know, and, and hit you. They're kind of a bare uh, thing. It doesn't have small limbs on it anymore. And so those are really good to keep. Plus for wildlife. Yeah, for wildlife. They're beautiful. Yeah. So As long a- as it's in a safe spot. Correct.
1: So, Shannon, you got one minute left, and uh, we know that you co-host the Naturally Florida podcast. Can you briefly tell us what topics you cover, and where can listeners find more information about the podcast?
5: So, you can find more information at naturallyfloridapodcast.com, or the, the podcast is available on all the major podcast platforms. And we cover a lot of things like what we talked about today. So, we actually have an episode on bats. We also have episodes on identifying frog calls things like uh, conceptual environmental things like the urban heat island effect or the impact of stormwater, urban forestry all kinds of fun stuff. We like to say we talk about Florida's natural areas and the wild things that live here. Perfect. Thank you so much, Shannon. And uh, a great show.
1: Yes, it was. Thank you, Irene, for taking all those calls and Bill for working the boards. If you enjoyed this show and our weekly content, please consider going to WMNF.org donating using the donate button and directing your donation to the Sustainable Living Show. Your donation helps keep us on air. Stick around for the next hour to hear Community Speaks with Mabili.
2: And next Monday, we're going to have uh, Danny Hall about the environmental benefits of leaving, living a vegan lifestyle and the 2023 Tampa Bay Veg Fest. Follow our Facebook page uh, and s- to stay in the loop. And I'm Annie Ellis.
1: And I'm Kenny Coogan. Remember, if you're looking for someone to save the world, look in the mirror. And Bye-bye. this is WMNF Tampa. Bye.